0: Uh, we were just chatting before I hit record here about how crazy things are on this planet right now. So, What are you feeling? What's, what's going on with you right now?
1: Oh, gosh. Um, that might take a couple hours, but in brief, um, not even the latest mass shooting, but the one that happened yesterday in Highland Park, Illinois during the Fourth of July parade
0: yeah.
1: um, was right in my backyard where I grew up. Um, the shooter was on top of a restaurant that I've eaten at probably a thousand times, (laughs) literally in my life. Um, So had to spend my holiday checking in with loved ones and family and friends and friends of friends. And um, on the heels of the, everything the Supreme Court is doing, but especially for me, the um, Dobbs decision. Mm It just feels like a lot. I feel, I feel tired. Um, yeah, that's my honest answer. I feel tired.
0: (laughs) Yeah. You feel like a lot of people feel tired, like generally, like that most people are fairly fed up and just exhausted by everything that's happening.
1: Yeah, I do. I talk to a lot of people, um, friends, loved ones. I work on a social justice committee through my synagogue. And a lot of people seem to feel paralyzed, I think, as well as tired, where the desire to help and make change and save lives is real. And so many people, there are just so many fires going on at once that people feel kind of paralyzed. Where do I put my efforts? What do I do? Who do I help? And it's exhausting.
0: feels like that um, there is a pretty strong consensus of people just fed up with all this, but how does that square with what seems to be a lack of listening to what the general public wants versus what the policies and laws are currently?
1: Honestly, that's part of the source of my exhaustion, is it is so unbelievably frustrating that I mean, there's so much research, so much of our country wants common sense gun laws. So much of our country wants women to have the right to choose. Um, and so it's, yeah, it's how do we bridge that gap? It's how do we make our voices heard? And the obvious answer is vote. But um, I live in Texas and we have some of the worst voter suppression or maybe the worst voter suppression yeah. in the country. And it's they don't make it easy. They make it really hard on purpose. The upcoming election um, is supposed to be, I think the most difficult. Our ballot, we have new machines. Our ballot is several pages long. Um, you can't vote straight ticket anymore. It's not on a holiday, obviously. They're putting more restrictions on voting by mail. So it's really hard to know where to turn and to um, bridge that gap. It seems like a minority of our legislators are really turning things on their head.
0: Yeah, it does seem like that. And kind of keeping in line with this, um, with your book, and it's very interesting that um, Deb approached me about chatting with you. and what an interesting time in talking about abortion. And then your book, which is a a very large central theme to that, especially as soon as you get into the book about that, what are your feelings as you, you know, this book, and then what's happening with abortion, like crazy, like.
1: Yeah. The timing feels not to get too woo woo, but it feels kind of like it was, maybe meant to be, mm. because I started this book in early 2011. I started taking notes and jotting things down and um, was working, was I, my first child was six months old, so it was definitely a, a slow process writing this book. But in 2010, when I started writing it, I could never have imagined that the book would actually come out after um, in a post-Roe world that was nowhere in my mind. What I had hoped to do was normalize some of the conversation around abortion because I noticed I carried a lot of shame about my own that I don't think I was even aware of until I did some therapy. Um, And when I started finding the courage to talk about my own abortion with friends, Um, I would hear so often, I haven't told anyone, but I had one also, or I had two.
0: Yeah.
1: Or, um, so I really wanted to have it be a part of the book, but not the whole book, because I think that's a more realistic portrayal of how abortion fits into women's lives. It's just one part of our lives. So many of us have them. Um, it's a part of healthcare, it's sad, it's hard, no one goes into it lightly. It's a very unpleasant medical procedure. It's It used to be safe and legal, but definitely unpleasant, difficult emotionally, but it's one part of our lives and then we have multifaceted lives. And I wanted women to be able to see that represented in fiction, which when I started to shop this book, I was really surprised to see it's not represented in fiction. And I think that my novel in 2022, it's the only one I'm aware of in which the protagonist has an abortion. So right. not a side character whose life is going down the toilet, Right. Not, um, not the main character who then at the last minute decides not to have the abortion and keep the baby. And it's the best thing she ever did. So i um, yeah, I really just wanted to write something that I felt reflected women's lived experiences in fiction, but I never imagined that it would be so controversial or come at such a strange time.
0: What I found also interesting was when you're talking about your abortion and then your work with your synagogue. Mm-hmm. I wonder if when people hear that, do they think, is this, these are, these two things are colliding? And yeah. What are the feelings and thoughts between these two? I think these two places, these two entities or places, are one an abortion? But then in you know how people feel religiously and a lot of different sects and um, faiths about that. Talk a little bit about that because I think people hear that they're like, okay, wait a minute, what's yeah. going on here? You know.
1: I get that. Um, actually, in Judaism. And this may come up in the courts because we have the freedom to practice our religion right and in judaism women when the life of the mother is in danger jewish law actually requires them to terminate the pregnancy Mm. so um that's one way they intersect that people might not be aware of but happily for me um I don't think I could be part of a religion that didn't respect a woman's bodily autonomy. For There's sure. a long tradition of, um, and there are different kind of grades of Judaism for lack of a better word. Sure. There, I'm a reformed Jew, there are conservative Jews, there are orthodox Jews, but actually the requirement, my understanding at least, is that um, through all throughout all of Judaism, Women are required to terminate pregnancies that could threaten their own lives. So um, my, it does it does sound like oh, a, a house of worship and social justice work and um, pro-choice advocacy might collide, but actually that I've learned through the synagogue is largely a fiction. I attended a wonderful conference um, for the synagogue with an organization, the acronym is sacred. I'm not gonna get all the words that the yeah. letters stand for, right? But um, I learned a great deal because there were various sects of Christianity, Judaism. Um, uh, there might be a couple other religions that were represented, not Catholicism. I don't believe Islam was, rec- was um, represented but there were ministers and pastors and rabbis all talking about how they, in their churches and synagogues and houses of worship, for many generations, uh, they'd all been pro-choice. And yeah. this kind of fiction by the right-wing fundamentalist Christian group really glommed down to the anti-abortion um, anti abortion line, which has caught hold of a lot of people. But the vast majority of of faiths, including most sects of Christianity, are supportive um, of women's right to choose. So it sounds like they might clash. But uh, my my rabbi who I'm who I do this work most closely with is a very outspoken reproductive justice rabbi. So there are a lot of faith leaders who work in this space.
0: One reason I wanted to talk about that is th- I think it's really important. I feel very similar to you about mm-hmm. that with faith. But I think my observation is that kind of the, the general population doesn't know that. What right. they, he- they they see and hear is what is the, the large minority, the yep. squeaky wheel, if you will, yep. that is somehow in a weird, crazy way of just latched onto this. So my question is, why is this become such a large topic for uh, right-wing conservative evangelicalism? Uh, When we see the opposite of probably what's more mainstream, Mm -hmm.
1: see. Mm -hmm. I think that's a great question. I'm probably not the right person to really answer it the best, I think. a historian, a religious historian, mm-hmm. might give us both an answer that would knock our socks off. <laughs> but I think at the root, I mean, my layperson's understanding and take on it is that this is a way to control women and it's about holding on to power. And it yeah. sure seems like white Anglo Saxon Christian men are feeling threatened. Yeah. Um, I think they're feeling left behind and sort of see what's coming that people of color now can achieve all kinds of things based on merit that women can decide not to have children or can decide to have children and can go in a bunch of different directions. And unfortunately it seems that a lot of people, um, again, the minority, but a lot of loud people, including a loud minority of our politicians, are just really looking for ways to um, control women's bodies. Obviously, if we can't decide if and when we're going to have babies, or um, if we're going to be able to survive miscarriages, ectopic pregnancies, uterine infections, then our choices and our upward mobility, and our ability to pursue our, our passions and our soul's calling is, is seriously limited. So I think it just boils down to power.
0: Doesn't it always, Doesn't <laughs> power, it money, <laughs> it's always like <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> follow exactly. the money, follow yeah. the power. It's this whole thing that we have like as humans is this thing is desire to like have relevance. Yeah, being relevant, like nobody wants to feel obscure and feel like they don't matter. Yep. And I always think like with anything, whenever, whenever there's a shift happening somewhere where the power player is starting to become the lesser, that's when it gets dangerous because nobody wants to relinquish power, even when it's, it may be an inevitable. I think it's inevitable. I really do. Whenever that is in the future, I don't know. I may not be around for it. But you're gonna go through nastiness when that happens because no one likes to relinquish power in anything.
1: That's right. That just gave me like little goosebumps because I feel the same way. I feel like it's inevitable. And I feel like that is why some of these politicians are doing such outrageous things. It's almost like they're cornered. And so they're just like doing anything they can. And I don't know if I'll be here either, but I know that I have to try, um, try to in my little corner of the world, I guess, write and share women's stories. Um, but I I think you hit the nail on the head. Yeah.
0: I I just, I actually think this, I really, when I talk on my podcast, I just don't, I don't hold anything back. I just, I, I try to, I'm not crazy about stuff, but I just try to be like intelligent and be like, Hey, I think the reality of these situations is that the country, I think in general, the people are more progressive, are moving forward. Everything from our technology to our mindsets, to how we treat people, and we're becoming alive on that. Mm-hmm. I think we really are. It's just that if you're paying attention to a lot of what's out there in news feeds and algorithms, it makes you think that's not the case. But I don't think that's true at all.
1: Yeah. I agree with you, and I think um, I think you just hit on another really important kind of um, divergence. Is where we have conversations with the people we know mm-hmm. and care about, and everyone seems pretty reasonable. I know, <laughs> and then you've got this—you've got all the different news. I, I've I, I really haven't watched much news mm-hmm. since election night, twenty sixteen. Yeah. I just kind of can't yeah, handle the it.
0: Same way, yeah.
1: Yeah, and it's been really interesting because I find that the things I need to know about always find their way to me, but I mm-hmm. don't need to have twenty-four hour cable news yeah. on to get it. And that sort of keeps me in a state of like mild fight or flight all the yeah. time. It's just not great. So, um, yeah. yeah, I get that.
0: It was what was interesting i feel like and connected to this was also like in your book like the, the main character and i just was i thought it was funny like yeah like how the <laughs> character speaks good and um in the shit smithereens and all this It's like so f- the wittiness the funniness in the face of difficult times which feels like it it mirrors kind of our societies like we have to find some level of goodness and, and joy, even in the face of really difficult things. Tell me a little bit like why you wrote it and, and yeah. in this, this voice, because it was very different than a lot of books I read.
1: Um, well, first, I'm glad you found it funny, and I'm glad you weren't offended by the shit smithereens. I no, got a- I laughed out loud a lot, actually. <laughs> I got a lot of pushback. I'm like, literally, I got a comment from my editor that was like, too much poop. I'm just like, Oh, no, come on. <laughs> <laughs> um, but really, I wrote it. I didn't, um, I didn't have, I know some writers are just always write on task and they know exactly what they want to do and the message they want to send. Yeah, My writing process is way messier than that. It's more like life and I guess the way I think. I um, I had found the period my twenties and early thirties, and many of the people I cared about, the women I care about, I found that time to be, as a dear friend of mine says, a real gong show. <laughs> <laughs> and um, and I didn't really see that. I I've always been an avid reader. I love reading, and I and I love fiction and even the fiction the fiction i love the most even if it tackles hard topics and i always like my fiction to tackle something that's going to make me think show me a new perspective but if it's just a slog to get through yeah i it's it's like ah eh, can you can you be kind to your reader too like i'm really glad <laughs> i know about like this horrible sex trade in india but my goodness like this is traumatizing to read can we make we find some joyful arc somewhere. So, um, and I think that that's also life. I mean, that's how I've gotten through all of the hard things um, in my life is found ways to laugh and find humor and find the absurdity. So anyway, I wanted to represent that time and kind of unpack my own feelings about that time. I think they're painted for women at least white professional women, um, which I can speak to as this like wonderful time where you meet your partner for life, and everything just kind of falls into place. And instead, I think it's a really confusing time. And there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of bad sex out there, there are, there's confusing sex, there's coercive sex, there's dating where you just feel icky when you're on the date and you can't quite pinpoint it, pinpoint why until you talk to a friend later. And you're like, Oh, yeah, that was kind of shitty. Like that. That's why I felt that way. Um, and I just wanted to kind of get that down on paper. My first draft was 10 gajillion pages long. And then I sort of found the message from there. And I wanted to just represent that time period. And sure it was fiction and you have fun with fiction. So some of it is a little, you know, blown up. Like um, I don't think everyone gets married where there's a funeral happening in the same event space at the same time. (laughs) But um, I just wanted to get those feelings and those experiences down and definitely normalize the conversation around abortion, but also these other things about trying to make it in professions that maybe are male dominated um, and all these expectations that we're supposed to find um, a partner we're supposed to choose motherhood that and all these things that seem prescribed for us that we don't Mm -hmm. even notice that i wanted my main character zoe to get a little bit of a lesson in maybe I don't have to choose these things and maybe my life is actually pretty good, even if it doesn't check all these boxes.
0: Yeah. I loved all the themes and especially um, women choosing to or not to choose to have children. I think it's a powerful theme. It's like part of the whole awakening to me that's happening. Like Now I know so many women who do not have children, who've actively chosen not to do it. Now this was a foreign concept when I was growing up in the 80s. It was not a thing. This person was a leper. They were like, what's wrong with you type of thing. But it mirrors so many other things in our society where we were kind of asleep about this. And I, I think, honestly, I really believe this. I really think that kind of women's movements of becoming more empowered, bec- uh, having more choice, is threatening to a lot of men. It's oh, threatening yeah. to men. I'm t- and they, like, for me, I've always been like, as a minority, I'm like, women are a minority, like me. I always see it like that. But I think for the people, with the power structure, people hate when someone... Else starts to realize that they're they can do other things, that yeah. scares people a lot. Well, I think it's amazing. I really do. I think men are threatened by women too, because women can do so many things that men can't. And that also threatens men. <laughs> I like, think you know, there's a lot of ego in guys. You know,
1: <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of ego in all of us, yeah. but guys, yeah, I think have been used to um, this pattern. Oh yeah, I am just lockstep up with. Everything you just yeah. said, I agree completely. And a woman who decides not to have children and can maybe stay at work later with the guys or attend yeah. the happy hours or the golf games or whatever, or or change it all and do other things and have, yeah. have the work day be structured in different ways. I think it is really threatening. Because I think men have counted on, I'm a recovering lawyer. So in that world, there was certainly an expectation like we're going to check the box, we're going to hire a bunch of women, but we know that most of you are going to step back and let us take partnerships and the big money and the big cases because you have to juggle your kids at home. Yeah. I
0: think there's just, I think this is one, there are big issues, but I think you're lining up all these issues. What you're seeing, I think, in America and particularly is a lot of sectors and industries and personal decisions, people are awakening. The monster is awoken. Yep. And it's all happening like, it's like parades. It's like a fireworks are just boom, boom, boom. Women, racism, work life. Like all these things are just, cascading effect and for the ruling powers are like wait wait they they should not be like this Mm -hmm. stay subservient like it's an almost an it's a mental overthrow a coup that is happening mentally and then but they know what comes next after the mental part (laughs) and so there's all this shifting these tectonic plates you know of life happening right now and that's what we're all living in which is crazy right now you
1: know it is it is a lot but I love that you use the term awakening, because even, even when I'm feeling really, pretty desolate about things and and despairing, I, in my gut, I feel that I feel that it's an awakening, and awakenings mm-hmm. are not easy. They're not wow. um, tidy, they're not orderly, and um, it was so weird because when this shooting happened and it wasn't even the most recent. I mean, then a few hours later, there's one in Philadelphia. It's just kind of um, unbelievable, truly unbelievable. It is. But for some reason, and now that you're speaking and I'm listening, I think I know why. I was thinking back to when these bathroom bills came out.
0: Mm.
1: And I think Texas was either the first or second. It was either one of the Carolinas was first and then Texas. But I remember thinking like, what? you know, what? And I I knew that people who identify as trans are such a small percentage of the population. Right. Like who gives a crap where they go to the bathroom? Right. Why am I spending tax dollars on this? But as you so eloquently said, it's all related. All I mean, related. The racism, the transphobia, the homophobia, the misogyny, the bigotry, it's just all out there. Because I think Right, the people who hold the power feel really cornered. Yeah, but there's no stopping this now. No,
0: I think the hope you can take is that while it may be nasty and, and it feels overwhelming, is that you you can't think about it well, I I I want to see it change. Yes, it'd be great for you to see it change, but the reality is it may be a while beyond your lifetime. Right. But I think to take comfort in that it's going to change. Yeah. Like it, it humans have this fundamental need. To progress forward yeah it's just in us we're not going to be like in creating just create the wheel and stop there or start you know uh creating gas powered cars and go oh, that's it like and this is the same thing it's just a more hot button issue it's gonna move forward it's just so incredibly disappointing during the change part yeah. of it And think your book kind of highlights even about relationships we're struggling that's what I like about doing my podcast. And I get to talk about a lot of relationship stuff with dating mm-hmm. coaches and, and people who develop apps. We're in a massive struggle in relationship culture right now. Oh,
1: goodness. I would yeah. love for you to
0: talk about that in relation to your book.
1: Sure. Um, yeah. I mean, again, sadly, I didn't have to dig too deep. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the characters themselves are fictionalized, but what they represent um, was really easy to call on from my own experiences from friends experiences. Um, it is so rough out there. And it's, you're inundated with possibilities. And when you reference growing up in the 80s, so did I. Um, and yeah, that was the idea is, I remember being a kid, if there was a single woman, who, and my parents had some single woman friends. The question was, what happened? <laughs> yeah. When they married, did their husband die? Yeah. You know, and never a wife, a, a husband, you know, did their husband yeah, die? Yeah, it can't
0: be a single dude. I mean,
1: like... well, I mean, it's just, it's, it's, and and it can't be a lesbian. I mean, it was just yeah. like, what, what happened to her? And, um, and there was always some story, you know, or theory about why that person was single. Yeah. Um, But in any event, um, so I certainly got out of school thinking that I was an independent, intelligent woman. Um, I had graduated from Harvard Law School, and I had all of this shit in me just like everybody else where I thought, you know, this is the time I'm supposed to get married. I'm supposed to have children before I'm 30. My (laughs) eggs will all dry up and evaporate Uh, on my 30th birthday, you know, just like Cinderella, like a pumpkin. Yeah. Um, and, and it's always there and it's kind of this underlying queasiness. At least it wasn't me. It wasn't a lot of my friends. Yeah so then you have all now you have apps then it was mostly online like you actually had to like it wasn't on my phone thank god
0: yeah (laughs) yeah
1: your computer and you're weeding through all these people and um this might not be fair but it certainly seemed like amongst my friend group there were a lot of guys who would throw themselves into the dating pool as soon as they had had some trauma, a divorce, a breakup, something, not having processed it at all. And that's not all their fault either, because I don't think men tend, again, a total generalization, but Mm -hmm. tend to be socialized to say like, hey, I'm gonna go talk to some buddies about what I'm really feeling. (laughs) and (laughs) And I feel lost, I feel broken. I think women have more space to do that, or I certainly did it. Friends of mine certainly did it. We did it together, but it was really frustrating to do that work on myself and then jump into dating these men who were going to try to work through their baggage with me. Um, so, and then, you know, there's always the safety element, uh, it's, it's a little daunting to maybe go back to your apartment with someone who you don't know all that well, and bigger than you are. And you're taking a chance and you're doing all the things and your friends tell you to text them when you get home safe and all that good stuff. But it's just a lot. So I wanted to capture that and the frustration. And I wanted to also capture what a lot of women feel, I think, which is, um, I felt at least, at least that it was so unfair that my biological clock was ticking. So I felt like I don't have, you know, a year to be yanked around by some guy. Like, yeah, I'm looking for something, you know. And <laughs> guys could be like, eh, you know, I can wait till whenever I want. Sure. So I wanted to sort of, right. So I wanted to kind of capture as much of that as I could in characters that were enjoyable and would bring some laughs along
0: yeah you definitely captured it it's just (laughs) it's just funny like but it also just it it's it's a wave that book your book is a wave to me it's a it's a tsunami of like this is what's happening this what's coming it's going to reach landfall and it's going to be messy but there is some joy in it And I think the dating culture is just an, I keep going back to this. It's just another iteration of the change that humans are going through. It is because right now it's space. I mean, I've been married for 18 years and it's awesome. I can't even imagine dating now, it shouldn't be insane. But now it almost functions from what I can gather and the guests I've interviewed like a slot machine. And it's like, just keep pulling. Even if you think something's good, keep pulling the slot machines that may hit the lottery. Even if you've already kind of hit the lottery. No, no, no. Keep trying to hit the lottery. Yes. So we're trying to figure this out. Like, and it's again, it's right now the humans are living now are doing this is super messy. It's super messy.
1: It's super messy. And then the slot machine. Oh gosh. That's another one that gave me goosebumps. Mm-hmm. What a great analogy because what the other thing I tried to capture in the book is I think for women, especially when all you wanna do is walk away from that slot machine and yeah. just take some space and get in touch with what you really want and need, there's all this pressure, like, no, if you walk away from the slot machine, your jackpot could pass you by. <laughs> <laughs> Rude, you know? You're yeah.
0: gonna miss Prince Charming or whatever you saying in the past, you know?
1: Right. And um and the messiness in the dating coaches, I love that there are dating coaches now yeah. and I I am quite confident that the good ones and the ones you've spoken to um, help take away some of the shame. There's just so much shame in that period of life. Yeah, at least there was for me and many of my friends, because you do so many humiliating things. I mean, (laughs) dating is dating is hard. You say (laughs) stupid shit. You know, you are stuck in your teeth like you're like I I wanted to get this one. I think I may have done it in a footnote in the book, but I'm like, why does no one talk about this? If you're naked from the waist up, but you have jeans cutting into your belly and you're sitting there thinking like, oh my gosh, I probably have love handles, right? I mean, there's just so much awkward, horrible <laughs> stuff. And I wanted to actually write about it to normalize it. Yeah. And to say like, all of you who think you're the only ones who've totally bumbled through this and are carrying this around secretly, all of us, every single (laughs) one of us has done some of this stuff and felt absolutely ridiculous. And I think, um, yeah, that's part of it.
0: Your book just does such a great job of normalizing the messiness on something like, and it's like, okay, it's okay to feel this way. And right. then I love the U2 connection, which was really actually one of the reasons I was really into this superficially initially, I'll be honest with you, because
1: I love that.
0: It's a very superficial reason. because I love you too. And uh, that's funny. It sounded weird the way I said, I love you too. <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, but my wife was a huge fan when I met her, huge U2 fan, organic. Really? all the cds back in the day okay cds yeah and i was always a a massive fan of the band and i just love how the character writes to you two and the band it's just like it was just different i was like this book has like a different element to it Like, like most books i'm really bored of i'll be honest with you like i'm really bored by them like i'm not an avid reader fair so if somebody sends me a book it better be good man. (laughs) because I'm tuning out within 20 pages I'm like eh. and I thought I laughed out loud my wife was like what are you laughing I was like this book's funny and she was like you never laugh at books I'm like yeah but this is funny like that doesn't happen to me so kudos to you
1: that makes me feel so good and now I totally want to meet your wife
0: (laughs) (laughs) massive fan I mean and I I had only really listened to uh Joshua Tree honestly but like she had she has listened to everything act tongue baby pop the whole thing, so she made me listen to every single album type of thing, and it just made me d- deeper be into the band and uh I just I just thought it was a great connection, you know
1: oh I'm so glad you enjoyed it thank you i um i I've always been a huge fan, and I knew they were gonna be a part of this book somehow, and they sort of represent this this like perfection. I mean, they're, they've been friends for yeah. 40 years. They split their earnings equally. They always have from the beginning and they put the each other first before the band. And then of course in their music, they ex- explore a lot of these themes um, or life themes. Obviously yeah. they're not coming at it quite from the perspective I, I am, but, um. But they do it in music that I love to listen to, but it actually explores some pretty heavy themes. It
0: does, yeah.
1: And um, my husband just said one day, he's like, what if Zoe wrote, instead of just her regular diary, what if she addressed each diary entry to the band members? And as soon as he said it, I was like, Yes, that's yes. what I'm going to do. Yes. So, yeah, and got the lyrics in there, and um, it just felt authentic to me because they're always, all of the messiness, I've always gone to their albums to sort of help me feel yeah. it, process it.
0: I mean, think about, like, I mean, some heavy stuff, like, you know, Sunday, Bloody Sunday, Bullet mm-hmm. the Blue Sky. I mean, all these songs, it's just, like, almost revolution and pain and suffering mm-hmm. um and it just always just pulled me every time I, heard, I was like man this is like just amazing so yeah. I was like really uh, like when I saw it, I was like yeah I'm gonna be talking to Emily <laughs> <laughs> I love that
1: and nothing yeah.
0: else for that reason man you know it's like that's such it's such a cool thing you know it just it just made me feel, remember like meeting my wife and how like over the moon she was about that band, yeah, and then it pulled me in, and then, um, and it's just life is interesting that way, you know,
1: mhm, yeah, and um, and I mean, some of their early songs, even that sound really like poppy, and they're kind of coming yeah. out seventies punk, um it's about some really serious shit it like is bono losing his mom, and. Mm-hmm. Some of these things that sound like you know, guy looking for the girl. It's like no, it's a guy looking for God or guy yeah, yeah. mother who died. And yeah. Um, yeah, they speak to me too. Obviously,
0: yeah, so yeah. <laughs> big I love that it. we
1: share that. That's so cool. Yeah,
0: yeah. In fact, I I remember my wife was like, "You got to listen to this song, Miami." I think it was from the pop album or something. And she's like, "It just it's feels like it. It feels like you're in Miami the way it comes yeah. on and stuff." yeah and uh, so like I delve in pretty hardcore with that band, like making the music and stuff, like understanding how like the songs are made. obviously a lot of people are very familiar with like where the streets have no name. yeah but I wanted to know how that was made, because I'm, there's nothing okay. like that very tiny sound that starts and then it builds mm-hmm. and then it always made me think of a revolution that's something that the change, and I mirror that with what's happening now. it's a tiny sound at first but it's becoming a roar that's what's happening right now it was a tiny sound it was a bathroom thing you know then it's just bigger and bigger and bigger and it's ugly when it becomes a a tidal wave it just gets real ugly and yep it's all metaphors for that
1: yes everything comes back to you too and I love that you um bring up their that you wanted to know their music making Mm -hmm. process because then you probably know they always talk about how they have the messiest longest kind of most painful process of making music and the people who work with them have to kind of you know buckle in to just ride it out right and where the streets have no name that's this iconic song and they play it at every concert almost didn't get made because It was so hard to have that opening crescendo and they changed time signatures, I think. And so that's one of the stories they tell for you two nerds like us that we know (laughs) is um, their producer was really close to just erasing the track. And it's like, we've been spending way too much time. We gotta ditch this. And they stayed with it and you're right. What a great metaphor for life. And sometimes something great It's just really painful and messy and unpredictable to um, walk through first before you get that nugget of greatness.
0: In fact, I'm not sure most things that are great are just like easy. I think most of it's really difficult, whether it's an athletic endeavor, a project you go on, anything that's like truly uh, like a beautiful work of art. There's a there's a labor of love. You know, there is so much time where nothing is being broadcast to the world for yeah. that. I think like how long it took you to write your book, right? I mean, how many days were you working on this and nights and times? And you're like, is this ever going to happen? Like, you know, right. Nobody heard anything about it. Just you and that paper and the pen or computer or whatever, you know, it's, yeah, that's the and- real story. That's actually the real story. <laughs> That's
1: a Real story, and it's always so comforting to me when artists that I look up to, whether they're musicians or writers or painters. Um, my brother's a painter, so I see this in oh, his work too. Of course, where you're you're working and no one knows about it, and no one knows how much you're wrestling with it. Yeah. But although I so wish that some of this great stuff, which is sort of happened. That was not the process with this book. And I was totally naive. I didn't realize, and my literary agent didn't realize either, that shopping this book, and I'll never forget it. She told me, she said, I, I don't want to say anything because the book business is so unpredictable. But I've been doing this for 20 years, I think we're going to sell this really fast. Mm. I was on vacation at the time. She said, keep your cell phone with you because I think it's going to sell fast. I'm going to put it out on submission tomorrow. Well, no one really wanted a book that opened with an abortion, the protagonist's yeah. abortion. So it it I really did have to dig in and um, throw myself behind it to get it out there. It's such a labor of love. So I'll, I, I'll try to take comfort in that and think that, If you too, if we're the streets have no name as a labor of love, then maybe i in good company. Yeah,
0: I think so. But I think also on another sense, we're trying to also kind of get out of that labor of love too on some, we're trying to teach people like quick fixes all the time, but I don't like this, by the way, just get, you know, get rich quick, get me things fast, this uberization of life. Mm-hmm. And no matter how much convenience you give people, there's still a lot of things that have to be done in a procedural way. They take yep. time. Yes. We're colliding that right now. So we want everything to be comfortable and quick. It's like door dash me, man. Hit me with dash. the door dash. Yep. But life's not a dash like that. <laughs> it's not.
1: Yeah. Right. No. All life does not boil down to productivity and Um, all the time there has to be rest and digest. Um, that's a real challenge in being, I have two boys who are 12 and nine and a half. Mm -hmm. And, um, it's a real challenge parenting because there are so many. Expectations and other parents with kids who, okay, we're going to go all in on this activity. And if it doesn't happen right away, we're (laughs) going to quit that. And we're going to go to something else. And it's like,
0: yeah
1: or you know hey here's a crazy idea maybe you take the summer off and fart around and ride your bike and yeah. chill out and other parents will be like what you know <laughs> <laughs> they're not booked solid with with you know lego camp and coding camp no. every week and i'm like no and i think we'll be okay
0: you're going yeah. to survive my um, daughter is 10 almost 11 and we were doing summer camps and stuff last year And we just got rid of all that this summer. And she's just like playing with her friends outside, or they go to the pool together here and there, these little kind of mini kid dates, you know, and stuff like that, where they just kind of like smash together and say whatever and do these things. It's just so much better. So
1: much better. You know, way to go. Yeah. Yeah. I hope you and your wife. High five. I mean, that's, that's some, I think that's great parenting, but it does make it harder, doesn't it? It does
0: make it harder. But you know, I'm all, I'm all about that though. And I've never been afraid of that my entire life. maybe it's because I grew up in a military family and I saw hmm. my dad go through the steps of being promoted as an officer, moving up the ranks. Yeah. How much time, 28 years become a full bird colonel and putting in all the time, the effort, all the moving we did, I saw that, and I thought, "This is you. You don't get anything without taking a while to do it, being consistent." And like I approach everything in life that way. And my podcast, this is like I don't know, 460 something episodes. People, go, how do you do that many episodes? You just do it. You just keep going, and you. I don't worry about all that other stuff, the monetization or all that. I just just book them. Boom, Deb knows, come bring it in. Boom, boom. Because I feel like if I have the if I have like a thousand conversations with with someone,
1: mm-hmm.
0: what what's that going to do to my life? I mean, mm-hmm. but that's mm-hmm. going to take like five to ten years <laughs> ready to do it. Yes. But yes. How great is that going to impact me as mm-hmm. a human? If I hear all these different perspectives, it has to change me in some yeah. incredible way. I just need to take the time to do it. You know.
1: Well, you have. Um it's really apparent in your podcast you have just a natural like resting state of curiosity and, <laughs> uh, and that's such a gift because then you bring so. so many different perspectives and niches that your listeners wouldn't know about yeah work that your listeners wouldn't know about um to all these people so i think it's really cool
0: thank you so yeah. is there another book coming or is this like a
1: Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's, I have learned that's, that's another thing I've had to try to work on my patience. It's not so easy to write a book while you're promoting a book. Yeah. But I do have a third of my next book written, which is really about the power of female friendships and relationships. And I think that that will probably be very relevant when I can finally get some quiet time and get that finished. Um, and then I have a third book in my mind as well. That's um, that's also about female power. I'm noticing a theme.
0: Yeah, this is a, a
1: female <laughs> yeah. friendship
0: thing. Like, talk mm-hmm. to me about that. Like, I'm curious about that. Why is that such a big theme for you?
1: Um, I honestly, I'm. It's really interesting. My dad's side of the family. I am like the only female. My my dad has a brother. Um, He has two sons. My I have a brother who is expecting a second son. And it's just all these males and um, and so I don't I don't know that has to have something to do with it. I don't know exactly what but I have found, I think, especially during that gong show of my 20s, that there is something magic and special. And this is the one area where I feel sorry for men because I don't think they're socialized to (laughs) make these kind of relationships where I feel like my female friendships have literally saved my life so many times. And, um, I, the book started, I did like the proverbial thing where I jotted it down on a cocktail napkin on an airplane. I went to this overnight camp for girls. That's really old. It must be. And it's um, like 110th season, I think right now. Um, Pretty different. When it started in 1912, it was a pair. It was a couple, a woman, a female couple. Um, who didn't put themselves out as openly gay at that time, but um, there's a female couple. And it's been only girls and women. And it's in the it's very remote. It's in the north woods of Minnesota, called comedy. So it's hard to get to. Um, and because it's so old girls come from all over the country. And they opened it up for its 100th anniversary, which they had never really done before. They had never done before. And alums could go in, could fly in, and spend the, a long weekend there. And so it took everyone a full day to get there, unless you're from Minneapolis. It took you a full yeah. day to travel there. And I just was outside with all these women. And it's very rustic, the camp. Um, There's no electricity in the cabins, no bathroom in the cabins. So it just attracts a kind of different kind of girl, I guess. Yeah. Um, and I was just listening to these amazing things that people were doing. And I thought, what a powerful place and having that summer of female community has to have something to do with why all of these women are are in community with each other and doing such special things so um so my next book is about three women who meet at overnight camp from very different corners of the country and when they're 10 years old and how their friendships and um, what they find in each other save each other's lives at different points in their lives so one character it saves her life right when she gets to camp when she's 10 another in midlife and another at the end of life and um yeah, I just think there's something really magic and powerful about female friendships and relationships. I think that's probably something else that threatens the power structure right now. Um, because if you get a bunch of busy women together, they can they can kick a lot of ass and do a lot of things. <laughs> so yeah. Yeah, that's the next book.
0: Wow. I'm mean, you're 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 a very gifted writer, seriously. Like Thank you. I just Not that interested in most books. Seriously, I just find most books boring, like honest truth. Yeah. And this was like one of the first books I read where I was like, okay, I'm not going to shut this and like leave it on the shelf. (laughs) And then when I started laughing out loud, I was like, this is an uncommon thing for me to do.
1: (laughs) Great. Well, that makes me so happy. Thank you so much for saying that. And that's really what I wanted. I want. I wanted readers to laugh and I think especially things are so hard right now there's something powerful about getting to laugh at it yeah yeah
0: there is there's something very and I think we're all in a a kind of a mood right now that feels pretty dour and it's uh you know Hope can be hard to have in these situations, but I believe there is. And then maybe that sounds controversial when you think nothing's good is happening. But you have to have that. When you lose that, you're dead. You're I dead totally in the water. Agree. You know? Yeah.
1: I totally agree with you. And I have it too. And I have that same feeling where I have it in the pit of my belly, this hope. And sometimes I think, like, why do I have that? The yeah. world is on fire. but um we have to have it and if it's in our gut we have to pay attention to it and give it air and help pass it along the best we can and um it's a it's a little thing but i do think that stories are a pretty important connective tissue and a way to pass along hope so um yeah, I'm hoping this book gives people hope and gives people permission to laugh and maybe shake off some of the shame that they're carrying or embarrassment. I mean, I don't know about you, but sometimes I talk to women who are in their forties like I am, or in their fifties or sixties and talk about the twenties and they're just kind of like, oh, you know. <laughs> and um, I hope there's some kind of release and like, yeah, we can we can do a lot of hard, hard things and come through them. So we definitely need to tap into that right now.
0: I think we need to tap into it. I think also, I was um, telling my wife this other day, I was like, no matter what you think is going to happen, it probably won't. Because the future, anybody who predicts the future is wrong about the future, like 100% of the time. The future is not something humans know
1: 100%.
0: And it may feel like a trajectory towards one way, But there's always things that happen that you never account for, ever. I don't know what that is over the next two or three years, but I know that something is going to happen that is unaccounted for, that wasn't thought of, that will change your trajectory of what you think is going to happen. Everything that's happened in my life, I never saw coming, ever. I never saw my wife coming. I never saw my daughter coming. I mean, nothing. I never saw the life I'm living now. If you asked me 20 years ago, I'd be like, impossible, impossible. I
1: ask if you had seen the podcast coming or if that kind never, of
0: never, never. Yeah. <laughs> that was a, that was literally, I, I came out of uh, some work I was doing and I went to the kitchen and I looked at my wife. I said, I'm going to start a podcast. I had not previously thought about it. Not one second before. And she was like, of course you are. <laughs> I, was
1: like, I love it. So yeah. you are, you are, it my husband and I would say M-I-P-E-O meant for each other.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: If she, she's like, yeah, that sounds right. That's, sounds that's right. Yeah, that
0: sounds right. Yeah, but I never saw it coming. All the good things in my life, all of them, I never saw them coming. They ne- and everything I, I predicted, I live in Washington State. When mm-hmm. my wife and I got married, we wrote the states that we would never live in when we were like 23, 24. Washington <laughs> was on that list, Washington <laughs> State. Uh, we live here now. You just don't know. How can you say you know?
1: I'm <laughs> like, I'm laughing because I had never been to, I can't believe I live in Texas. Exactly. <laughs> I still, I mean, I have been there for 13 and a half years and my family was on spring break in Florida and someone asked, where are you from? Clearly meaning our family. And I yeah. said, Chicago. And my husband's like, no, we're from Houston. And I'm like, <laughs> Right, right. Yeah, but um, I'm going to try to tap into something you definitely have that I do not have, which is the patience. You're like, this is going to unfold. It may it not is. happen in my lifetime, and I'm thinking like I really wanted to have it in my lifetime.
0: Everyone does. Oh my, everybody <laughs> I talk to has the same thing, and I equated to this thing that like we no longer do these like 100, 200 year projects where we say no. it's okay if this lives beyond me. Right. I'm, I'm totally fine with that. I'm, I'm totally fine with my eternity. I don't need to have this to validate the rest of what happens beyond this lifetime for me. But I think we all want to see the change that we so badly see coming. Mm-hmm. I'm just okay with it. I'm just like, listen, if I'm, a, if I'm like a, a piece of the puzzle for that, I'm good with that. There's, there's greater adventures for me beyond this time. You know, so I feel like we need to, we actually need to have projects that live beyond us. Like I view my podcast like that when I'm dead, this thing will, somebody will listen to it. Yeah. My daughter will hear my voice when I'm gone. Like we don't think about life enough that way, in my opinion. Like that's the patience I think is really important. You know,
1: you have just given me such a gift by saying that. I really needed that perspective.
0: Wow.
1: Thank you. Wow. Really? Yes. 100%. (laughs) I'm just like, no, we, I'm every, you know, every woman. I'm like, no, every woman has to have everything right now. (laughs) I'm like, they have to be safe. They have to have the right to choose. And of course, that's what we want. And we don't want anyone to suffer or be discriminated against or pushed down. and we just want to get where we're going. Yeah. But yeah, there has to be some satisfaction and acceptance of this is my place in my time, and That's I'm right. work the way in my little corner the way I can, and just kind of let go of the rest and have faith and hope and yeah, yeah. Find Plenty her- women
0: never saw other women get the right to vote plenty yeah. of women so yeah. i mean just to, just depends the time you're born in you know? Yeah. And know i always think is like well what are you going to do in that time you can't travel forward you can't travel backwards you can only live in the time you're in and, yeah and you have to make peace with that i feel like and a lot of yeah. people don't want to make peace with that they want the change to happen now they want it to be uberized for them
1: I'm it like, feels it feels very desperate i mean yeah I feel like I can, I have an easier time finding patience with, you know, I took breaks writing this book because I had children, I had job, I had life come up and I was okay with that. But the, the big things, the people who are suffering, I've always felt just desperately impatient about that getting better. But of course that has not been the trajectory of the human race, no. so, <laughs> that's probably not gonna happen for me. Um, but what a gift and my, I love that perspective. Because my, my third book is inspired by my paternal grandmother, mm. who um, was a Russian Jew, poor. Um, and in 19, on, I'm very bad at math. 37 got a full scholarship to the University of Chicago, which was just kind of unheard of at the time. And she is apparently, we have very little of her, um, but have some report cards. She's apparently just really, really intelligent and she couldn't go. She needed to work to help support her parents and siblings. And so she couldn't go to college. She died really young in her thirties of breast cancer. And I think, Okay, she, she was born way, she was way ahead of her time. Yeah. And I like to think maybe that I can help sort of bring her legacy forward and write some of her story. And, um, so yeah, things unfold sometimes in a different way than we plan. They take a lot longer than I was. Always like. longer. But what a great perspective. And if we can just be moving in the right direction, that's worth something. It's so definitely worth you. something. Oh,
0: no, no problems. Life is yeah. kind of like a contractor. You think they're gonna get the job done in three months? It always takes like a year. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's uh, bank on it being longer. <laughs> well.
1: I just needed that right now with everything going on. It just it yeah. really does feel so desperate on so yeah. many levels. And it is. I mean, not not to diminish it, but of course. Um, but I don't think, at least for me, I can't be at my best if I'm living in a state of just no. constant high anxiety. I need to sort of step back and realize, okay, this is a marathon, not a sprint. Sometimes I need to find time to replenish, but Then I'll wake up the next day and keep going.
0: Most definitely. Well, Emily, I mean, I had really no expectation for this conversation because I just go in and I go, see what happens. Cool. It was awesome. I mean, really, really, you're such a wonderful person. Seriously.
1: Thank you so much. I feel the same way about you. I'm so grateful to have this chat and just really appreciate knowing you and thank you for your work. I'm curious too, so it's really fun to open up my app and see that I can listen to like a sex expert or someone talk about um, like physical health or the whole spectrum. So thank you.
0: Thank you. Please tell everyone about getting your book, you know, the whole spiel. You got to promote it.
1: (laughs) All right, I'll do it. I actually, I do have a copy. It's going to show up backwards. My 31st year and other calamities by Emily Wolf. It's available most places you buy books. So, um, (laughs) and uh, one thing I actually really do wanna say is a portion of proceeds go to a fantastic reproductive choice organization called 73 Forward. And they, all of their um, time, money and efforts go to making sure that everyone can have um, physical autonomy. So um, yeah. Wonderful, Emily, thank you so
0: much. Emily Wolf, everyone.
1: Thank you, Dr. D. All right. Take care.
0: You too.